for those of you, it's the first time you've been today, I'm just going to do a bit, little bit of a recap. What we've been looking at is a series called Balance. And the reason why I have this dear brush here with some dollars on the top is one of the things I said is that if you can understand the laws of physical balance, understand how they operate, then you will be able to understand the laws of financial balance. And one of the first things I actually said today, um, actually on the first week, is that when, you have, when you're trying to balance something, you have got to have a reference point, a very clear... I'm not taking my eyes off that. If I take my eyes off that, I'll get a problem. And we encourage you, the first reference point in the first week, and we finish the conclusion, and you need to fill this in and to tell me what it was, is the reference point is you need to be knowing where your money is. Say it again. You need to be knowing where your money is. The moment you take your eye off that, you're shot. I take my eye off this, I look at you, it's, it's all over. So we encourage you to do a really hard thing on the first week. The first thing I asked you to do on the very first week, and this is, this is rocket science, you need to go to university to do this. You need to draw up a piece of paper and you need to have a column. The first, well, on the first column is date. That's not whether you had a date, it's put the date, okay? Put the date. Secondly, what you bought. Thirdly, how much it cost. And then you might want to put your initial, whether it's you or your spouse or you know, whoever it may be. But you need to have a system. Because if you don't, you don't have a reference point. That was the very first thing we looked at in the first week. Now, we're going to skip step two. Initially, in fact, I'm going to hang on to this for a while. We're going to skip step two. We're going to come back to that in a second. The third thing we said, in fact, we said this last week. We said you've got to have a clear objective. Now, when I'm trying to balance something off the end of my fingertip, one thing I'm trying to do with that reference point is keep my objective, is keep the pole upright. Keep the ship afloat. If you're walking across a, um, a, a, a very narrow uh, plank, what you're trying to do is you're trying, your objective is trying to get to the other side, and you're constantly looking where you're going very carefully. Okay? You need a clear objective. That's what we said last week. How many of you are here for last week, just so I know what I'm, I'm talking to? Okay. okay, I need to slightly adjust that, but that's all good. And last week, we said, consequently, we looked at this. We, we said, if you, I challenged you, I said, listen, if you have to have one objective that summarized your entire approach to finance in this life, what would that be? One sentence, my objective, what is it? Again, with a pole is to keep it vertical. And lastly, we, we summarized and finished up the, I'm just doing a quick review, and we're just about done here, but we summarized it by saying this, and it's such a powerful idea, one statement that would summarize your financial goal when it comes to money. It's not just to make all you can make. It is important to earn money. The Bible nowhere condones laziness. In fact, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. The government should perhaps think about that. No worky, no eaty. Okay, so when it comes to these things, we need to be able to make all that we can make. That's one of the things we talked about. 
Now, we talked all about, it's not just about when it comes to your objective, spend all you get, spend all you can spend. It's not all about give all that you can give type of style, or simply just take care of my family. That's not the one number one objective, just to take care of my family, or just to spend, or just to give, or just to earn. It's not all of that. As we looked into scripture, we came and we discovered something. We discovered last week that everything that you and I have belongs to God. It comes from God. Everything is distributed by God. So consequently, we landed the plane last week by saying this. Your number one financial objective, which should go across everything, your objective is this, two words, to honor God. To honor God with everything we have. It's not just a percentage thing, but to honor God with everything. You remember we talked about that. Honor God in our savings. Yes, you should be saving. Honor God in your giving. Yes, you should be giving. Honor God and how we loan stuff. Not, oh, this is mine. Because I've noticed something very strange. I've noticed sometimes if I have something brand new and shiny, I'm very reticent to lend it. But if it's old and beaten up, wow, what the heck, right? <laughs> Maybe you've noticed that in your own heart too. So last week we saw that this type of thinking is it requires a defining moment in your life. And if you do decide to do this, when you say to God, God, here I am. I'm going to surrender everything I have to you. I want to honor you, not simply with a percentage. I want to honor you with everything that I have. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, I just want to say something to you which is going to lower your defenses so you can hear and be open to the word of God. There is no ulterior motive here. There will not be a special offering at all. You need to hear that, because some of you weren't here last week. There will not be any uh, pressure to give or anything like that. That is not what I'm asking. But I, so with that, you can sit back now and chill, okay? But you need, now I've lowered your defenses there, you need to listen carefully. Because before that, some of you weren't listening because you were like this. So there will no, be no special offering. There will be no special call for funds, Okay? Get it? Good. Now you can pay full attention to the rest of this message. So we're giving you that care. So there were two laws of balance. The middle one, I skipped over. The third one. And one thing I said is whenever I'm holding that pole vertically, one of the things I have to do is I have to make constant corrections. Constant corrections to keep that pole vertical. Now, if you've ever seen Cirque du Soleil, amazing acrobats doing stunning tricks, incredible feats of balance, you notice that they're always keeping their eye on that constant focal point and they are making constant adjustments as the people below them move. Today, I want to talk about constant corrections that you need to make in the area of personal finances, constant corrections that if you do not make, you will become 
imbalanced and unbalanced. And as we said in the first week, if I ignore any of these three laws, fixed point, constant correction, and a clear objective, if I ignore any of those when I'm balancing the pole, we know immediately what will happen. What will happen? The pole will fall, right? That's in the area of physical balance. But I want to point out something very subtle. When it comes to financial balance, we don't always know immediately, but we will know eventually. It's different. We know at the end of a stage or a season of life. We know at the end of university because they go, did I clock up that bill? And now I want to get married and it's got an impact. You would not believe the number of young couples I see ready to get married with $120,000 worth of debt to boot. And they haven't even started. Fact. Or at the end of our working career, now I'm about to retire and, by the way, I don't like that word, repurpose. No such thing as retirement, okay? Repurposing. So we get to the end of earning capacity and all of a sudden, she's kebab. I thought I was going to be able to live at this level. But I, it comes into focus often at the end of the stage. Eventually we know. And often we don't discover this until it's too late. Now today, I want to talk about one component of this constant correction, constant correction. I want specifically to talk to you today about consumer debt, the use of debt. I'm not going to talk about corporate debt, or I'll just touch on it briefly and I'll, towards the end. But today, I want to get after a mainstay of our culture, and that is consumer debt. Now, story, I want to tell you a little bit about that first. All of us in this room are impacted by some way because of our families of origin, where we grew up when it comes to how to manage money. Now, we either move into adulthood and emulate and so, wow, that's a really good way to manage money. We thought, that's worth emulating. Or we were so um, off-put or offended by the way our parents manage money or mismanage money, that we run in exactly the opposite direction. So if you were raised in a home that never even discussed money, then chances are when you came into adulthood thinking, ah, this is a piece of cake. It's easy. If I'm smart enough to earn money, I shall be smart enough to manage money. And there is nothing further than the truth. I know a lot of people who earn a lot of money who are virtually insolvent. This is not necessarily true. For Kimberly and I, I can talk about that because it is what it is. And my mother's sitting there, so watch out. (laughs) We were fortunate enough to be raised, both of us, in families that believed not borrowing money for anything at all that wasn't going to appreciate in value. Let me say that again. We, in our families, never borrowed for anything that wasn't going to appreciate in value. So, you know, so typically our parents, what the only debt they ever had was a mortgage, right? That was the only thing they ever had. So when we got married, we followed suit. And we thought, yeah, we assumed no credit card debt. 
Zero. Nada. Zip. No credit card debt. Now, we have always paid cash for our second-hand cars or anything. And if we couldn't afford it, we waited. We just waited. Today, though, I've observed an interesting phenomenon. And that phenomenon goes like this. Teenagers see their parents or young adults see their parents. And what they want to do, they'll never come out and say this, but what they actually want is to get where their parents have taken 30 years to get, but they want to be there in the first or second year. Two cars, microwave, fridge, dishwasher, um, two lounges, as one of my friends was telling me the other day, when they're building new houses, in our day, there was one lounge, if you're lucky, and three bedrooms. That was about it. Today, the demand, my friend was telling me, who used to sell houses, four bedrooms, two lounges, upstairs, downstairs, triple car garage, yada, yada. It's crazy. Anyway, back to where we were. We have never bought anything on HP. That's not Hewlett Packard. That's high purchase. Okay. We have never, even when it comes to 60 months interest-free. I'm not stupid. I worked in finance. There is no such thing as interest-free. If they're offering you 60 months interest-free, whip your calculator out, figure out how many dollars they make. So tell you what, forget the interest-free. I'll pay you $2,472 less for cash now because you're paying finance and that. So always try, we've always tried to drive a very frugal bargain. Some people told us when we first bought our house or our second house that we have put way too much equity into our home. Way too much equity. We said, well, actually, with your borrowing power and your lack of debt, you could afford a much bigger pad with many more accoutrements. And you don't need to tie that much cash up in your house because you can get a bigger loan than that. Surely you could want a few more things. So what we intentionally did is we violated the cultural norms when it came to those four things. Now, we never have ever had any consumer debt. And that's not because we are so smart or so holy. (laughs) Nothing like that at all. The reason why I tell you that, though, is I want you to know something. In spite of being raised... With a woman who earned hardly anything, which is my mother, and one day she pulled out that many $20 notes she'd squirreled away and said, we're going to England. She took three boys and herself for three months. And in those days, I think she was earning $35 a week. She knew how to do it. The reason why I tell you, even though I was raised in that background, so get the feeling of the family I grew up in, my family of origin, And I've always, and my wife, always tried to be faithful in terms of how we manage our money as the ones accountable to God for all that we have. I want to tell you this. I am probably no less enamored with fast or shiny than you are or new. That still has a tug on my heart. I want you to know that. Now, it does help to know that I am a steward of the assets that God has entrusted to me. But to keep those inner desires in check is the struggle, right? The Bible says this in Proverbs 27.20 from the Good News Version. Human desires are like the world of the dead. 
there's always room for more. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So, this is interesting. Listen carefully, those of you who specifically want to, in their heart of hearts, want to make room to make their lives count to serve God full time. When Kimberly and I sensed as a couple that I should leave my previous corporate roles in marketing and IT and as a business owner to go into full time ministry, our personal finances were not a huge factor because we had no consumer debt. That means we were free, baby. Free. Nobody had us in chains. Now, Kimberly and I only have a couple of financial goals, actually three main ones. The first one is to increase our giving yearly. That's what we want to do. I'm just telling you, for my hearts, that's what we want to do. We want to do that. It's a desire of our hearts. Secondly, we want to save well and invest very shrewdly so that our giving may continue to increase. Thirdly, now those two always change because they always go up. But this next one doesn't. It always stays the same. The next one is stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. It never changes. Why? Because in a moment, with a little squiggle of my phone fair hand on a piece of paper, I can increase my standard of living. I can drive a better machine. I can go on better holidays. I can eat better. I can entertain myself better. Very easy with the use of debt. Now, as you know, unless you're that woman, and where was it? Somewhere down south who just won 22 million in the lottery, which I do not recommend, okay, or somebody very wealthy dying, there are essentially two ways to upgrade your standard of living. Number one, you can work hard and save and invest your way into a higher standard of living. That's one way. Or you can borrow your way there. Now let me say this carefully, and you need to repeat this. One is quick, one is slow. One brings peace, and the other, whoa. That's whoa. One is quick, one is slow. One brings peace to the soul, but one brings woe. And it is a big woe. You know, this is what this looks like. The shiny wore off, and I'm still paying for the thing. Right? Where is it? Don't even know where it is. Here's what I want for you. There's that side of debt, and there's this side of debt. I've been on this side of debt, and I like it. It's great. It's good. And I want as many of you as are willing to join us on this side of the debt. None. Now, many of people here, sitting here right now, in this room with you, can tell the same story. That the, it's much better being on this side than that side. And they can tell you their own way how maybe they were on that side once and they worked hard and saved hard and stopped taking any more money, uh, debt on and they finally get on this side and now they are free. Oh, the peace and the joy. There is peace knowing that your debt is gone. Your enslavement to debt is over. Now, you probably haven't heard this before, but it is God's will 
Your heavenly Father has spoken on this issue, and the Bible is full of information on this, about personal finance, and even more specifically, the proper and the improper use of debt. Now, if you're not a Bible person today, and you're maybe not a Christian, and you're you're not quite sure that you take the Bible seriously, if that's you, I well, first of all, you're welcome here. Secondly, though, I would suggest to you, and actually more than that, I would guarantee you, if you have been adhering to the, what the Bible says about money, you would be better off for it because it's full of extraordinary wisdom that you'll get nowhere else. Now, I want to show you some scriptures now. I've laid the foundation. Let's speak directly to the issue of debt. My goal in doing this is to inspire you to come up with a plan and get rid of all your consumer debt because you will be free and you'll have more peace in your life. So, to the section, God on debt. I'm going to excuse this guy at a minute because I want to be able to see you, Desmond, a bit more. So, when God was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt and up into the promised land, he made a deal with them, which is instructive for you and I. And Moses announces several conditional, conditional, conditional promises to the people. And they were conditioned on Israel's obedience to God. And there's a whole, there's a whole list of them actually in Deuteronomy. And God basically said this, I'm going to summarize them. If you will follow me and if you will obey me, I will bless you. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth. I'll bless your land and it'll produce beautiful, bountiful crops. Your cows will be fatter and sleeker and your vegetables will be greener or more orange and more juicy and your babies will be bigger and plumper. And your cows will produce more. And the rains will come. And I'm going to bless your land if you obey me and follow me. But if you disobey me, then I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I want those around you that look at you to go, Whoa! What happened to Israel? Their God is amazing. Look at that. So God had a conditional relationship with Israel in this capacity. And part of his deal... Part of his deal with Israel had to do with debt. So, now listen to this verse. It's powerful. And it sets the stage for our conversation we're about to have. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 28, 12. This is a promise to Israel. To Israel. One sign of God's blessing was the ability to lend money but not to have to borrow it. Now the Lord will open the heavens, the Bible says, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on the land, on your land in the season, and so the bless the work of your hands. Now listen to this part. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. So as part of my blessing, God says, you will be in a position to be the lender and not the borrower. To have the margin to lend, but you will not be in debt to other nations. Oh, it's sad today. Do you know how many nations are debt-free? Do you know how many? 
out of 100 and say, let's call it 196. There's a few more, but let's call it 196. Let's call it 200, all right? Not quibble about four. How many are actually not in debt? Any ideas? There's five. That should concern you. From a biblical perspective, this is what I'm trying to communicate. Borrowing was evidence that things were going poorly for you. It used to be that way in New Zealand. The trap that we easily fall into our culture now says, wow, seeing as things are going so well for you, you can now act like a person for whom things are not going so well. You have so much borrowing capacity because your house has appreciated so much in value that we invite you into a lifestyle that generally reflects that things aren't going so well for you. And if you borrow enough, eventually they won't be. There was a time in New Zealand that I even remember that if you had debt, it was evidence that things were not going well for you. So people avoided it. Like, the plague. Why would I want to do that? In fact, they were so committed to that that in the days that we used to have big appliance places up in Howick, in the days of Goubets and other such long, forgotten names up in Howick, that if you wanted to buy a washing machine, you would literally, and you wanted, you know, was on the on the blink, and in those days you used to fix a lot of things, not just toss them out. But if it was beyond the blink, brink and it needed repair, you'd go up and you'd say, after investigation, I'd like that one there, please, and you'd put a deposit on it, and then each week you'd come back with another 100 bucks, and you'd eventually pay it, and then when you've got it, then you'd take it home, and it was brand new. Now, if you're under 25 today, you're probably thinking, are you insane Why would you do that? Just give them your plastic and take it home. We used to call that system lay-by or lay-away. We could wait until we paid it off before we brought it home. And we brought it home, it was brand spanking new. By the time you make the last payment in today's system, you don't even know where that thing you bought is. It could be in the back of your garage. It could be in storage. It could be on the recycling heap or the inorganic rubbish collection. That's the type of system that we live in today. And here's what I want you to see. When you read the scriptures, God says this in a sentence, basically. Why would you want to willingly be in debt? Especially consumer debt. Being in debt is evidence that things aren't going well for you. And the reason that debt was a concern to God and now is because he knew that we learn the hard way in this next verse. The rich rule over the poor. That's the golden rule, right? Here is the golden rules, right? And the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now Solomon says here, you know what I observe in the world? Whenever somebody owes somebody else something, whether it's an individual or an organization, the principle's the same, or a nation, principle's the same. 
they become in some capacity a slave to that nation. Some see consumer debt as generally when you buy stuff that isn't worth much and even, even what you pay for it. Others think that, well, at least business debt, you can create value. You can borrow some money and create something of greater value. But let's face it, even if it's business debt, this verse is true. The borrower is a slave to the lender. You're still a slave. Now, if you've ever owned a business or been associated with somebody who's owned a business that had to borrow to get the thing going and things didn't work out so well, you may have had the ignominious experience of having a bank that knew or cared nothing about your business tell you what to do. Why? Well, actually, because it's actually not your business until you've paid the debt off. They own it. Some people say, come to my house. Well, actually, to be accurate, come to the bank's house of which I own 22%. (laughs) It's the bank's, remember, until you paid the last dime. They own it. And in that moment, every business owner and board member realizes we are the borrower's slave to the lender. We, the borrowers, are slaves to the lender. Whether it's debt you got into willingly, which is what most of us do, we willingly sign a piece of paper, nobody puts a gun to our head. Or debt that you found your way into accidentally because something unforeseen came along, you had a bump financially, this verse is absolutely true. So as you read the scripture, here's the attitude of your heavenly father to you. It's, I want you to be free to follow me. I want you to choose freely to become a servant of mine, your God who loves you, rather than be enslaved for the rest of your days on earth to stuff and possessions. Now, in order to do that, you can't continue in slavery and in bondage to credit card companies and to whomever else you owe a prince's ransom for. Because in some capacity, there is a sense in which you are beholden, in which you are a slave. You're not free to do what you want to do because your master is telling you what you must do. There is no choice. You want this, you do this. Now, it's an odd thing to me When we buy into or consume our way into personal slavery, your heavenly father is going, why would you do that? Why would you willingly buy and consume your way into personal slavery? Why would you want to limit your own freedom? Why would you want to give up the peace that comes with knowing that nobody can put their hooter, their nose, into your business because it's none of their business? Why would you give up that freedom for stuff which doesn't last for possessions, for temporary status? Ooh, look at my new car. 
Why would you do that? Why would you give up your freedom, which Christ paid for, to set you free, and then you immediately enslave yourself back to other masters who are brutal? You try not paying. See what happens. And make yourself a slave for stuff for the rest of your life. Now, the answer to that, why, is because we lack something. That is very much a spiritual issue. That's why God's getting after it. It's a spiritual issue, this. It's a spiritual component of our lives. It's a character issue. And it comes down to two words which are often hyphenated. Those two words are, the reason why I'm in such a the cactus is because I lack self-control. We give up self-control, and consequently, we wake up one day, and now we're in slavery, and somebody else is in control. We think, well, I've just got to have it. But you didn't even know about it to got to have until you saw it. So here's your choice. Either you control you or your credit card company or somebody else will control you. That's a natural implication of this. Now the reason... Debt is of a concern to God. And why we're talking about this today is because often debt is not the result of need as much as it is, that almost rhymes, of greed, lack of self-control. Lack of self-control. And that, my friends, is a spiritual issue because one of the fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Number nine. Against these things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22. As you mature as a Christian, those fruits should be increasing in your life, not decreasing. If they're decreasing, friend, we need to talk. We need to have some help because it's saying you're going one way or the other. Look at this next verse, powerful. This should motivate you to make some changes in your life. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The picture is, you're like a commander of a city defending yourself against your enemies enemies. You store that food and you store that water and you're defending the walls and things are going fine. But suddenly, suddenly, unexpectedly, perhaps like those houses in Hong Kong now which are just taking a 25% bath. I've lived in economies, houses have dropped 40%. Ah, oh, it's never going to happen in New Zealand. Well, that's your good luck. We don't know. None of us know. Probably not as bad as that. But let me tell you, right now, people in the seventh largest economy in the world, Southern California, took a 40% bath twice whilst I've lived there. That's okay if you've got tons of equity. If you're stretched, be careful. Deleverage. Don't push it to the border. I know a guy who had 21 houses and went from so-called owning them, rubbish, the bank owned a lot, stupid bank for lending him that much money with so little equity, to going down the road, turning his car off, very dangerous, 
No power steering, no, no power brakes, because he couldn't afford the petrol. Be careful about over-leveraging. What are you doing that for? Be careful. It's not easy. Suddenly, the enemy pierces the outer defense system, and before long, you find yourself enslaved to whoever it was you were defending yourself against. So listen, this is so important. By not exercising self-control, you give up control to somebody else. And when you lack self-control, somebody will invade you and take control and you're conquered. And suddenly, your emotions, a portion of your emotions are owned by the situation. Controlled by people who don't care about you. You just owe them money. And there is less peace. And let me tell you another effect I've seen as a pastor. It severely hammers your relationships. Your marriage, your anxiety levels go through the roof. Some people I know felt it was all too much. All because way back there, a lack of self-control on your part allowed there to be a penetration of the walls of your defense systems financially. By decisions you've made, you have given up control to someone else that you don't even like. And they didn't even know your name. But every day you get up and slug yourself ridiculous hours because some slick-talking sales guy it convinced you to take an extra bit of mortgage, which was probably more than you could really afford or really should be. Some of you, you're not in control. So what would your heavenly father say? Exactly what the Bible says here. Get out of debt. Because especially consumer debt. Because you've done something to yourself. You've given up control. Again, why would you do that in order to drive a different car? Or just to, in terms of fashion, that changes every year to keep us buying stuff. Why would you do that? You have given away part of your soul. You've given up part of your peace. Now, God wouldn't be saying it like this. He wouldn't be saying, naughty, 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 naughty. No, that's not what you'd be saying. You're talking now, you'd be listening to a broken-hearted Heavenly Father saying, to the nation of Israel and then to us. For those of you who are trying to follow God, he'd say, come out of that. Come out. Get rid of it. Don't take on any more. And you can do that if you're willing to take this idea absolutely seriously and make a constant adjustment in order to get that debt under control. The last compelling reason to take this seriously is something that every one of us in this room has experienced, me included, to some extent or another. When we're enslaved to debt because of how we live, our standard, for example, we're constantly upgrading. Huh? Well, I've got this. In fact, there's a particular individual who I see regularly who had a place and had a business going well and um, earning more money than you knew what to do with. And my advice to him is don't upgrade. Pay off what you've got now. He'd be laughing home and host. Game, set, and match. As it was... Whatever you do, he upgraded. It's not always wrong, 
But for this individual, that was the right advice in the right time. This isn't a blanket rule. Long story short, he's now got absolutely zero. Through a set of circumstances which he never saw coming. That's what happens. You never see it coming. Somebody's health goes. This happens, that happens, that happens. We're enslaved because we're often constantly upgrading, getting ourselves in more debt. Or it's what we hear, or where, and drive, where we eat out, or where there's the party, or what we're trying to do to impress people. When we're enslaved severely, here it is, it impacts our ability, not our desire. It impacts our ability, not our willingness. It impacts our ability to be generous. Now, how many times have you attended church or some other place? Maybe it's at work. There's something going on there. Or in church, it could be maybe Sri Lanka, the 3,500 kids that we help protect from being abused in northern Sri Lanka. And we're raising money for so they can be saved from predators. And at the same time, they can hear the gospel and get educated. Or we're talking about church planting, getting on with the thing that Jesus said is the most important thing. Get on with it. Partnering with others to do what Jesus commands. Or maybe it's the Ugandan refugees at Tutapona who've been through unspeakable horrors. Or maybe your heart's touched by because you want to equip new leaders with training so they can plant churches. You're like, well, I want to be part of one of those things. And in your heart, you want to be generous and you sense God's nudge for you to give. And you have a desire to give. But Visa has other ideas. It says you owe. So you pay, you pay, you pay, you pay, you pay here first. So guess who wins? Your master. Visa or Amex or mortgage companies, and they're all good companies, so please, if you work for them, I understand that, but they have to be used properly, kept in balance. So what I'm saying is, these groups impact your ability, not your willingness to give. Now, is it odd to you as it is to me that you can't give more to people in need because you spend so much on things you don't need. Does it ever strike you as odd? Because generosity normally requires margin. Debt means you have no margin. The Bible says, wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The Bible encourages us to have margin. And this is an adjustment we have to make. Margin, if we're going to be balanced. So God says, I want to invite you out of debt. I want to invite you to work hard to get rid of all the other masters so that I can be your only master. And if you're going to be balanced, you have to address debt. Here's what I've found. You drift into debt but you have to claw your way back out of it. I highly recommend Crown Ministries. They have incredibly useful debt retirement or repayment plans. Actually, what you'll find, and so have Sorted. You go onto the website, Sorted New Zealand. I'll give you the links on your page there. The problem I found is often not getting the right tool. There are plenty of good tools around. The problem is having the discipline to do it. So, here's what we highly encourage. You've got to have a plan, but you also need accountability at two levels. Two levels. 
Firstly, if you're a Christian here today, you may, it sounds old-fashioned, but to get on your knees and say, God, I surrender the finances you've given to me back to you, and I am sorry. I apologize that I've just been blown around by the wind of culture and followed it willy-nilly. I'd be more concerned about what people thought about how my house looked or my car looked or my dress or my short or my motorbike or my computer or my iPhone or whatever it may be. Yeah, I'm gonna, allow me to meddle a minute. Don't ever buy a phone plan with an iPhone in it. That's stupid. They char- Work it out how much they charge you. It's better to buy one straight with cash You'll save yourself a fortune. Well, it's only so much a week. Yeah, but you should calculate how much they're charging you for that thing. Don't do that. That's a dumb move. If the company offers to upgrade, say, no, I'll take the money, thanks, and you do your own deal. Sorry, I had to meddle. Bugs me, that. Okay, so apologize to God that you've been all concerned about that and that you've been constantly upgrading and the debt limits me to keep, uh, it limits me by keeping me chained to stuff. And apologize, say, God, I've spent so much time online, so much time at the mall, and it's controlling me. And I apologize because actually, God, now I'm a slave to that. I'm not really free to do what you want me to do because I'm serving these other masters. And I haven't honored you with my spending. God, I want out. And by your grace, with the wisdom, would you show me how and give me self-control because at the end of the day, I want only you to be my master. That's it. And I think that right there is a spiritual decision. And beyond that, spiritual accountability to God, I think you need something more. I think you need to get some outside help, outside accountability. Now, we've got people in this church who are experts in this. They have no debt. Don't ever take advice from people who haven't done where they're leading you to. That's foolish. If I go to an accountant, I say, have you got debt? Are you solvent? You know, your net worth? If you haven't got X, Y, Z, and I tell them a number, I'm not interested in talking to you. How can you help me? How can you improve the situation? So never get advice from people who haven't done it. So we have people in this church who've done it, who would love to be able to help you if you need that. And the reason why I think this is very important is, encouragingly, I've seen many couples who've had a boatload of consumer debt break out of financial slavery when they opened up this embarrassing situation, this element of their finances. You know, and they said, look, whilst I'm here, please don't roll your eyes. <laughs> when I'm God, that's a different deal. But whilst I'm here, just help me, will you? Because I I'm sick of this. I am sick of living at the pace I'm moving to serve this tireless, merciless master. Would you help me? And what I found is people that went to other people also and got some help. You know what? I know it's embarrassing, but I know what's even more embarrassing because I've seen it. When people come knocking at the door and start taking stuff out the door or in the end end up repossessing things or even worse, become bankrupt. I've seen that too. It is much smarter to head it off now than when somebody comes chasing you. Frankly, it's much better to be embarrassed at this level than this level. You know what I'm saying? So, would you be willing to be that transparent? This is the acid test. 
And would you decide today? Now, have one of those come to Jesus meetings where you say, okay, I never really thought of this as a spiritual issue, but apparently it is. It is. Everyone I have ever known who's elected to say, God, I now see this, and I've way overstepped the margins here. I need some help and got some help. Everyone that I've ever known, somehow, and I'm not sure how all this works, got out of debt much quicker than they anticipated. Maybe they got an unexpected return or some unexpected financial injections from somewhere. It's almost, I don't know how that works. I'm not promising anything, but I've just noticed. It's as if God's saying, now you're getting your act together, I want to honor that effort and I'm going to help you get there faster. I mean, why would I want to get involved before in your finances when you weren't honoring me with it? But now I know you're serious. And God seems to support that decision and shorten the process. Now, as we wrap this up, some of you here today are sitting here thinking, sure, I know that some people here have got some pretty dramatic situations in their lives, extreme circumstances, but me, nah, I just got maybe a car payment and some visa debt, and I have it all under control. Friends, I am talking to you as well. Why would you want to be a slave to anybody? This isn't a matter of, well, you can manage it, because most people can manage it for a while, for a certain stage of life. It's the unpredictable bumps that cause things to become unmanageable and can knock you off your perch. But why would you even put up with that? Let me say, for example, this. If I handed you a a chocolate bar, and I said to you, well, in this beautiful piece of chocolate bar, there's only a bit of poison in it, just a little bit, how much of that candy bar would you eat? I know some of you, you're trying to eat around it, wherever it is. (laughs) You still want it, but, you know, you try. This is the same issue with consumer debt. Why would you want to be exposed to any of it? Friends, to summarize, you cannot be balanced whilst you are enslaved to debt because you don't have a choice. You have no choices. Slaves don't have choices. You do what they say. And many of you have got yourself in that position. And second point, friends, you can't honor God whilst you're enslaved to debt. Regardless of how deep you're in, how hopeless your situation may seem, here's my challenge to you. Would you be willing to, A, get a plan? Would you be willing to get a plan? Would you be willing to surrender to God and ask for his help? Would you be willing to be transparent with other people who are qualified practitioners that you can trust and invite them into the process to get out of debt. Now, if you do that, you will have more peace, less stuff, more control, and again, more peace. And you'll be more generous actually rather than you, I know you're already generous in your heart, Now, as your pastor, for those who attend here on a regular basis, I want that for you. Your heavenly Father wants that for you. 
I want you to be free to do what God wants you to do. To be what God wants you to be. And to go where God wants you to go. But if you're enslaved to debt, those guys get to call the shots. Would you be willing to say, I am not going to let any other company or vendor tell me how to live my life anymore? Do you know you have a choice? You actually have a choice. Were you willing to say, I want to get out of debt? I want to be free again. And maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about debt in a spiritual context and the implications it has for your life. Because some of those debts have long-term implications. The good news is your Heavenly Father will help you out as you take these steps. And maybe this decision will bring you to the place where you're able to say to Him with a clean heart and a pure, a clean heart and a pure heart, God, I'm surrendering all of my life to you. And now, nobody will own me apart from you. I want that for you so badly. Because many of you are sidelined for 30, 40 years of your life. But we're going to keep pushing and praying for you. If you make that decision and follow through with it, you will never, ever, ever regret because you'll be free. Finally, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I know and you know so well, it's so much easier to talk about this than it is to do it. In this room today, there are single mums like my mum was. And this sounds great, but they're wondering how it will happen in their world. There are families here where last week somebody lost a job. And there are bills and there are pressures. And you're wondering today, how could that ever be a reality for us now? Now, I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that, but I do know that it is God's will that we owe no man anything. And I pray that you would give us collective wisdom Father, to know what to do and the courage and the self-control to do it. We don't want to be servants of anybody else but just of you, Father. So please help us to know what to do with what we've heard in the powerful and strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said, Amen. Friends, today... Don't let that just go in here, one out there and out the other. If you need some help, if you want, on the back of your communication card, when everybody else puts their communication card in the bucket, just put financial counsel on the back of there. Dump it in there. Make sure you've got your name, your email, and we'll be back to you this week because it is God's will that you own no man anything. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Thank you. 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 Thank you.